Hi there, folks, and welcome to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Zivna Kajima again. Thanks for joining us today. Great to have you with us. Apologies for the slight delay in publishing this week.、Uh, we've had two public holidays back to back at the start of the week. So, four day weekend, which was fun. We had a good rest, but not much of a chance to、uh, find a quiet spot for recording this. We are now back in the saddle answering your questions and providing you with info on all things related to the world's second biggest property market, Japan. So, today's episode is a recording of a recent call with a US based client. Experienced investor who's just about to take his first steps here in Japan. And as these calls usually go, we discuss mainly the differences between the two markets and how things work here for foreign investors. So, cash versus capital growth, advantages, disadvantages of investing here overall,、um, individual versus company ownership of properties,、uh, financing, taxation, and all of the usual good stuff that we normally chat about here in the podcast. And of course, where and what kind of properties to buy depending on investor criteria and their risk appetite. So here it is our conversation with an experienced property investor from the States getting ready to pull the trigger on their very first Japanese property investment. Enjoy, and I shall see you again on the other side. So go for it. How can we help? Well, we've been looking,、uh, my wife and I actually have been looking at the Japanese market out of interest because we've seen. Uh, the yield rates, quite honestly, on the smaller units. And it's been something that、uh, we're real estate investors here in the US and have been looking basically for income properties. And there's been some, you know, a lot of different information out there, some of which has been saying about, you know, the property doesn't appreciate necessarily, but in some cities it does. So we've been looking at learning more、uh, and how that really would fit into our portfolio. Right. Um, so, I mean, with the appreciation, I, I tend to subscribe to that point of view. I mean, it, it's good if it happens, but it's nothing to bank on in Japan.、Um, we've had five or six years of、um, property hikes in bigger cities. Tokyo and Osaka are actually very close to where they were、um, pre bubble days before the 1990s.、Um, And Fukuoka has been going up, Nagoya. So the, the major cities have been going up, or at least until late 2016. And then Tokyo, Osaka, Fukuoka have still been going up since then.、Um, but that's on the back of、uh, two and a half or so decades of,、uh, of declining prices. So as long as the population keeps shrinking and the workforce keeps shrinking, I wouldn't count on property prices going up in the long term. Um, so, it is, it is very much a cash flow market and it does have its advantages.、Um, I mean, the tenants are generally hassle free, they tend to stay for a long time.、Uh, the business environment is quite comfortable. I mean, you don't need to constantly watch out to see who's、uh, sticking their fingers in your pocket, like insurance companies or、um, owner unions in、uh, co owned buildings. Nobody's、uh, out for your money, kind of thing, which does happen in a lot of other countries. And the,、um, the real estate agents, the property managers that we work with are generally honest. I mean, they might be more or less、um, professional and get better results, but they're never going to swindle you or anything of that sort.、Um, so、yeah, I noticed that the association and building fees are actually significantly lower when it comes to the maintenance of、uh, condo buildings specifically.、Uh, well, it, that's probably because you're looking at the cash cows, which tend to be older buildings.、Uh, if you buy luxury properties、um, overlooking the bay in Tokyo, then you will see $200 and $300 a month、uh, building fees. Even that sounds low to me. Like when I think of luxury properties here in the US, I think of you know, $800 to $1,000 even for building association fees. And 
been to New York City specifically, and um, it's it's an interesting mindset to take. The, the, I guess I have to look at a, a completely different way here because I think I mentioned, like I said, the U.S. market in the Southeast specifically uh, has been, I mean, absurd. It's been just in six months we've appreciated twenty percent almost due to low inventory from COVID-19, but also it's a a cash market too. So it's kind of a strange dynamic that's going on. We're interested in cash yield specifically. So as long as the property doesn't depreciate, uh, or at least too too much, then holding it over, you know, the course of 20 years is fine. Well, I mean, if the location you're purchasing is good to begin with, then that's usually what we would recommend unless uh, you twist our arm and tell us to go for the uh, satellite cities. So that's usually not a huge concern. Having said that, if the building does get... I mean, the, the properties that you purchase here, if they're classified as investment properties in the sense that um, nobody would buy them to live in them, um, they do tend to be priced based on the rental income that they command. So if the rental income does drop significantly because um, that area has a bit too much supply or it's gone down in... Uh, in value or perceived value or the economy just doesn't do well and uh, we we have to reduce the rents in that case your property price could take a bit of a hit that's understandable so it's looking at growth cities with um near metro access or train access basically i apologize for these hiccups here i'm not sure what led to that but um Metro access growth cities, kind of smaller units is what you typically would be looking at? Yes, and if you do want to aim for potential growth so that you can enjoy more of it if it does happen, um, then depending on your budget, you might want to look at a small residential or mixed-purpose block as opposed to a collection of individual units, just because you've got a larger land plot with that. You can buy, I mean, Japan allows you to buy either as an individual or as an incorporated entity, and that entity can be a foreign entity, or you can set up a branch of it here in Japan. That's entirely up to you. Um, It really depends on how much you think you're going to be purchasing and what sort of income you'll be generating. The um, corporate tax is capped at uh, at 30%. Whereas the individual tax does go on beyond that, but it starts a lot lower. And there are also a lot more um, claims and deductions that you can make with a corporate structure. So if you're only going to be purchasing a few small units or maybe one small building that's going to be under, say, half a million US, you probably not much benefit in owning it under a corporate structure. But if you're planning to expand beyond that, then it would make sense to set up shop um, either set up shop here or purchase under your company, your U.S. company name. Got it. And I imagine, I mean, the finance piece gets a little muddy, especially from a foreign investment perspective. I mean, I can come at this from a cash investment, but I mean, if there is financing available, I'm the type that's not going to say no as long as the terms are good, basically. So it's uh, why not leverage if it's if it's available. It is available, but the terms are not super attractive if you're not a resident. So you're looking at 60 to 70% LTV, somewhere between 3 to 4% uh, interest. 
And then they do limit you with your selection criteria as far as locations go. At the moment, because of COVID, they're actually only doing Tokyo or uh, very close to Tokyo. In normal times, they would consider other major cities. The building has to be younger and you can't lease it out for any other purpose except long-term residential. Um, some of them actually enforce that by... Um, one of the long terms is that you have to use their designated property managers sort of to keep an eye on you that you're not uh, leasing it out short-term Airbnb, that sort of thing. Um, and some of them specify that as a requirement, but as far as I know, they're currently not enforcing it in any way. But if they do find out, they could uh, renege the loan on you. So you're going to be more limited in your property selection and the terms are not super attractive. I mean, resident Japanese do get somewhere between 1.5 to 2.5% and close to 100% LTV. So, and they're also not as limited location-wise. So again, what sort of term length is that usually? Um, I'm not looking at Airbnb, Airbnb or anything like that. That was more like a passing curiosity than anything. Yeah, so what sort of what, sorry? Uh, term lengths on the loan. Turn rate, interest rate, sorry? Uh, term length, what, what, uh, what's the length of the loan usually? Ah, um, anywhere between 15 to 35 years, depending on the lender. Okay. I mean, so it, it sounds pretty standard to what I'm used to, quite honestly. I mean, that's, we would be looking more, I guess, to start with cash investments then. Um, and, and it sounds like, you know, once you prove yourself as like, look, I have property here, then you can eventually scale it to the point of being able to, uh, to leverage a bit more. And I think it sounds like the bank will probably trust that more, especially if you're doing exclusively long-term uh, leases. And that's not really how it works. So the lenders are pretty much divided into ones that will lend to non-residents and one that will not. Uh, the ones that will lend to non-resident foreigners, you can borrow uh, from them from day one. You don't have to prove any income history here or anything of that sort, but the terms are just not going to be as attractive. To get access to the resident loans, you will need to set up a shop here in Japan and you will also need to have a local Japanese uh, partner or official company representative who's co-signatory to the loan. Otherwise, at the moment, it's not available. It might change in the future, but not yet. And your income history here is not going to change that. Uh, are you, do you do property management typically? We are a, a layer on top of everybody else. So we work with the real estate agents, with the property management companies, uh, with the building management companies, insurance companies, uh, and so forth. So we're sort of your single point of contact just because uh, out of central Tokyo and a few other locations, it's difficult to find Japanese professionals that can uh, just wrap their head around the concept of working with foreigners. So. They can't receive or send funds overseas. They can't communicate in English. Um, they want you to have a local address, local phone number. So we're an added layer to bridge all of that. We work with the property managers. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And um, it sounds like, like you said, like Tokyo, Osaka, and Fukuoka are the, the recommended jurisdictions primarily right now due to the growth rate. I, I looked at the spread, spreadsheet you sent me and that, uh, I mean, it, it all fell in line. Yeah, I would also consider Nagoya. Nagoya is a bit of a rising star recently. Um, Kyoto, if we can get something attractive there. These are all cities that have got good population and industry figures. 
Um, but it depends on what yields you're looking for. So if you're looking for higher yields, you might need to venture a bit further from there. Do you have a rough idea of a budget and yield? Um, we surprisingly saw some of those lower-end ones that were, I mean, 50,000 U.S. and under that were yielding 13%, which was kind of shocking shocking to me as a, as a percentage yield. But uh, we'd be interested in looking at in that you know, 50 to 100,000 U.S. range. Um, that 13% is usually going to be very much gross. It usually translates into not more than 7 maybe 8% if you're lucky, um, net, net before tax at least, so maybe 65 to 75 uh, after tax. Mm-hmm. Um, the realtors here, when they put their listings online, they don't include, I mean, they got two yields. They got a, what they call the coupon yield, which doesn't include anything, doesn't include the building fees, uh, and then they got a net yield figure, which includes the building fees, but doesn't include your purchase costs, property management, um, insurance, and so forth. So, I mean, the spreadsheets that you get from us will usually calculate net yield before tax. I might look at that rather than online. Li- I mean, look at the online listings for sure, but then ask us to uh, let you know what that actually translates into. Yeah, I'd love to take a look at that. I mean, any sort of spreadsheets or what you have available, because I have, I've been eyeing some some properties just on general foreign-friendly real estate websites. Um, but I'm open to, I mean, if you have recommendations of what to take a look at, like what a first-time investor would, would be comfort, comfortable jumping in with in, in the environment. Um, and, I mean, I, I think I've read on your site, it's the, the typical lease terms are two, year, two years, but many residents stay beyond that. Does it looking like, what, three- to four-year average leasing term, terms? For the singles units, it's something like between four to five years. I'd say four and a half average. Um, if you're going for family-sized properties, you could get much longer tenancies. I mean, look, even with the singles, we have had tenants in place over 20 years. But um, it's not uncommon, but it's not super common. And um, I, I also want to say, if you're looking at uh, the lower end of that budget and the higher end of that yield, I'm guessing you probably haven't been looking at something in central big metropolitan centers, probably, I mean, it might be in the greater Tokyo metro area, but that usually means it's something like 45 to 60 minutes by train from the city itself. Yeah, I think it was in Hachioji specifically, and yeah, uh, yeah. With, uh, Tachikawa was some of the areas I had been looking at. Yeah, so those places, they're officially classified as Tokyo, but um, there are better places that are actually closer to Tokyo, even they're not officially part of it, and they've got a better industry finger. Hachiyoji specifically is about an hour away. The population is in decline, and they've got no industry to speak of. They're only a bedroom community to Tokyo, and they're not a super attractive bedroom community at that. They're a bit far off. Well, we're interested in, I mean, if the yield is great, we'll, we'll spend a bit more for a growth area. That's not a problem. So it's, uh, we're very flexible as long as it backs out. What's your minimum yield requirement, let's say net before tax? Uh, net before tax, I'd probably be looking at between 5 and 7. Okay, so that's doable. Maybe not super central, but doable, yes. Okay, and that's... So the, how do the taxes work on, on this for foreign investment? Um, well, the Japanese tax authority doesn't care about your foreign income. They only tax you on your income here in Japan. And then your purchase costs and your running costs can be carried forward uh, for three years as an individual or five years as a company. But if you're saying your budget is less than half a million, I'd probably probably steer clear of companies at this stage. So individual can carry costs forward for three years. 
Um, I'm thinking if you're going to be looking at uh, up to 100, 150 or so, you're probably going to be tax-free. Um, the minimum is 385,000 yen net, net per year. Uh, so for the first three years, you're definitely going to be tax-free. And after that, you might be at 5% on anything past that um, $3,500 mark per year. Uh, so not pretty low taxes for that budget. Yeah, that's that's very reasonable. So that's not not really too much. It doesn't eat into it too much. It would be more my U.S. side of things that would be annoying than anything. That's correct. You do need to report that, and then they will uh, um, they will charge you for the difference. Right. Okay. Well, I'd be interested in taking a look at what sort of spreadsheets you have and uh, how your uh, operations work, and going from there because. I'm the type that I'd like to, you know, you dip your toes in the water, so to speak, first, because then I'd rather, after one or two units, kind of go into, you know, maybe the entire building type of thing, because I could probably get financing here in the U.S. to fund me in Japanese market in many ways, too. Well, that, that's what most of our customers do. They test us out for a year or two, and then they come in with a bigger budget, so you're not unique there. <laughs> Great. Um, did Pretty already send you some spreadsheet samples, or have you not received anything from us yet? I've just received the population growth chart. Okay, so we'll send you some um, recent samples within your budget of stuff that we've either sold or have had as potentials in the last few months. And I'll also send you a document just explaining the times, uh, timelines and processes involved in working through us. And we'll take it from there. Perfect. Really appreciate your time today. Pleasure. Good speaking with you. So there you have it. Nothing really new here. Um, all stuff we've discussed here in the past, but always good to have it condensed neatly into a single conversation. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks if you think they may find value in it. And I've actually got another review to read out to you today. This one from the iTunes store, and it goes like this. If you're looking for a real estate representative in Japan, look no further. Ziv and his team are the best out there, very professional and knowledgeable and super efficient. And it's signed, a satisfied client from Austria. So I've got a pretty good idea who uh, this commenter is. I won't mention his name due to privacy concerns, but to be fair, we don't have too many clients from Austria. So thank you for that one, Mr. J. Much appreciated. And if you would like to receive a mention or a heads up thank you note here on the show, don't be shy. Leave us a star rating and a short review on the iTunes store, and we will read it out for the entire world to hear. And also treat you to a nice uh, sushi or ramen dinner next time you're here in Japan, whatever your thing is. And that is a promise. All right, that's it from us for today. We hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, from all of us here at NTI, stay safe, nice and warm. And if you're into investing at all, happy investing. Yoshiku! <laughs>